sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So good news, we signed a contract this week to replace some of our AV equipment. So we will know within the next month if it's Karen or the equipment that's the problem. My opinion, it's Karen because it always works for me when I wear it, but, uh, but uh, it's good to be with you today. Um, I want to talk to you about this gospel reading from John, and of course, when I saw this was the reading for this Sunday, I was very happy because in the youth group, we did about four or five months a study called The Person of Jesus, and it really went through a lot of the miracles that he did and, and how he interacted with the people, how he saw people. And so one of the weeks we did this, this reading, this gospel reading, and I think it was over the course of two lessons, and it took about five weeks to get through it because there's so much going on. So I said, well, this is good. I've got all this notes and everything. And as I was preparing this sermon, I kind of had an outline done a week ago, and God kind of redirected me. So this is a two-part sermon today. So you're getting a two-for-one but the first part that we're going to talk about, we're really only looking at verses 1 through 3 of this. And what we're looking at is, is that Jesus sees, he feels compassion, and he helps when someone's in a time of need. And as we went through that study with the kids, that's kind of the general thing in all of the miracles that we see. Jesus is the one that sees the person, feels the compassion, and then heals. And so in this gospel reading today, we see in the first century... Um, if you were disabled, you were pretty much out of luck. You were going to be a beggar. You weren't going to have a job. You weren't going to be able to work. You'd be along the roadside, and uh, you'd be begging for money. And this is what life looked like, looked like every single day for this guy, amongst others. There may have been many others there also begging. And all we know really about this man is that he was blind from birth. He was completely dependent on the compassion of others. He's a Jew, but because of his disability, he wasn't allowed to enter the temple. And so this story opens, and the disciples, of course, go right into a question, really the wrong question. But they probably wouldn't have even noticed this person if Jesus hadn't noticed him first. The guess is, is that Jesus was probably looking at this person. He had zeroed in on him, and the disciples are going, what, Jesus is looking at this guy. And so then they ask the question of who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus really has to redirect them because that's not what this was about. You see, Jesus pays attention to people that are overlooked by their peers. He never is distracted by the crowds, but's really able to look at the individual. And that's always kind of amazing how Jesus was when you look at the miracles and you think of the woman that came up and touched him, and right away Jesus goes, who touched me? And he's looking for her. He always singles out the individual, even amongst the crowds. And so really, for us, it's not enough for us to speak as Jesus speaks, but we also have to see people as he saw them. And I think sometimes that's really hard to do. I mean, we all have those people that we really enjoy being around, we like running into them if we're out and about, and then there's other times we're in Publix and we're about to go down an aisle and we look and we go, oh, dear Jesus, I do not want to see that person today because I'm going to get an earful about something. We all have those moments. We're human. But if we're like Jesus when we see people, it's different. Even those people that everyone else said, oh, I don't want to see them. 
Jesus was okay with. He loved them. He felt compassion for them. And so this was one of the things that we talked about in the youth group with, with our students, is that the disciples were concerned about how he got this way, and in doing so, what they were doing was they're judging him, they're treating him like an object, and they view him as a theological problem to solve. Jesus, on the other hand, sees him, moves towards him, gets into the mess of his life, touches him, heals him, and also speaks directly to him. Up until this point, the disciples are talking about him. But Jesus is talking to him. And he goes to the disciples and he says, It was not this man's sin or his parents, but the works of God that might be displayed in him. You see, Jesus had a purpose. There was a purpose that even in afflictions, the ultimate purpose is to glorify God. So even in this man's affliction, the purpose was to glorify God. I mean, one of my life verses is Romans 8.28. I'm sure a lot of you know that. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean it's going to necessarily be the way we want it to be. But God's going to work it together for his purpose and for his glory. And so when God created this guy, he created him to be a miracle child. His parents probably didn't see it that way. The minute he was born, they were probably going, oh, great. We know what the life is going to look like for him. He's going to be a beggar. He's going to have to depend on society to take care of him. But you see, God had a totally different plan. And it was a great plan to have him healed one day by, the, by his son, the Messiah. This was, something that was, this was a healing reserved only for Jesus the Son of God, to heal the blind. And so this was a big day. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's preparing us for things, and so every day God has things for us to do. And we're supposed to do them for his glory. And yet sometimes I think we just start going through the motions. And we struggle through and go, this is not really that wonderful what I'm doing. And I've got all these afflictions that I'm not happy with and things going wrong in my life. And yet we're supposed to do it for God's glory and deal with it with God's glory. And thank God for it because I'm sure he's trying to teach us something in our struggles. And just as the blind man left different, so we should leave different. You know, you look around and you think the people should be rejoicing, really. People should be rejoicing. This guy has been blind his whole life. He's been healed. And we hear in this gospel reading as you go further, the Pharisees are not happy about it. They're concerned about Jesus' healing on the Sabbath and who is this man and this isn't right. The parents, his parents should really be happy. What do they say? Don't, uh, don't talk to me about it. I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to deal with it. I mean, I would hope we would respond differently if something like that happened to somebody. I would hope we'd come alongside them and rejoice and celebrate and give praise, but everyone was afraid. Everyone was scared. Everyone thought, oh, we can't say anything because, oh, the Pharisees, this is bad. No, this was good. This was good, and they failed to recognize it. And so for us, when we have a personal encounter with Jesus, we should be different. We should be different. The blind man was different. 
And not only was his sight restored, he figured out who Jesus was because Jesus talks to him at the end of that gospel reading and he says, I believe. I believe his life is totally changed. Yes, he gained his sight, but there was a spiritual healing in him as well. So are we different when we encounter Jesus? You know, or are we just coming to church and Wednesday nights and doing all these things and it really is not having an impact? When we have a personal encounter with Jesus, we can't stay the way we were before. We will be changed. It may be a slow process of sanctification, of changing and becoming more like Christ, but we will change. So are we different as a result of an encounter with Jesus? G. Walter Hansen, who's a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, said, We are not to be merely spellbound by what we see in the emotional life of Jesus. We are to be unbound by his spirit, so that his life becomes our life, his emotions our emotions to be transformed into the likeness with ever-increasing glory. We should be glorifying God as we go through this. So we really need to ask ourselves, I think, today is, are we different as a result of that personal encounter with Jesus? Do we glorify God in those struggles? Do we glorify God in whatever he gives us? You know, that's a heavy message, I think, for all of us to look at our lives. And how are we glorifying God? Are we whining about our circumstances? Or are we saying, I don't really like this, Lord, but I know you're with me. I know you're walking through this with me. And we're going to do this together because I know there's something for me. And so I had a lot more kind of on this gospel passage to preach about today that I had wrote down. And so last week we have the prayer training. And I'm up here in the sanctuary, and Deacon Peg was leading the training. And I was sitting in the back doing the sound for her. And God goes, I want you to um, talk about healing. And I said, well, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about healing, healing of the blind man. He goes, yeah, use your notes. Use my notes. I always have notes when I'm up front. What does that even mean? And so then I heard this, and he said, the theology and practice of healing. And I went, oh, I know what that is. A year and a half ago about, I took a class, The Theology and Practice of Healing. Amazing, amazing class. I didn't know exactly what that meant, but when I got home that day, I pulled up the file on my computer and went through all the notes. Well, this was an intensive course, so I took it in January of 2022. And you're on campus for a week, and then you have some papers due for the rest of the month, but you're doing this class in basically three weeks. And so you're in class Monday through Friday, eight to five hour break for lunch. And so I'm going through these notes and there's hundreds of pages of PowerPoint slides. I've got my notes. And so I'm reading through all this stuff and I went, I am not really getting what I'm supposed to use from this. Healing, there's a lot of healing in this, a lot of Holy Spirit. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. So on Tuesday, Pam Carson and I were talking And um, she was telling me about what they were talking about in the women's Bible study and their study from Priscilla Shire. And I was telling her I was preaching on healing, but trying to figure it out, kind of what I'm doing. And she goes, oh, I got the perfect thing for you. Got the perfect thing for you. And so she gives it to me. and And after I read it and I made a copy of it, I went, you know, I think I'm getting it now. Keith Barron's coming Tuesday. And, um... You know, we've seen lots of healings here when Keith Barron has been. 
And so I said, I think I got it now. I think I know the direction I'm supposed to go. So I wanted to read to you what Pam gave me, and then we'll go into where I went with my class notes for you guys. So what she gave me, it was talking about Naaman. Now, if you don't re remember Naaman, just a very quick thing. It's found, he's found in 2 Kings. He's a commander of an army. He's a good commander, held in high regards. But he had a problem. He was a leper. Now, ultimately, he's healed of leprosy through the prophet Elisha. And so we could talk a lot about that. But the important thing is, is what Priscilla Shire said. She said, as with Naaman, God's plans are rarely, if ever intended, intended only to heal us of our leprosy. His intention is to heal our hearts, to teach us something, to show us something about ourselves that if learned can make us less narrow, prideful, and legalistic, and more open and useful for his future purposes. A book that we had to read in class was called Authority to Heal by Ken Blue. And he said this when it came to Jesus healing people. He said, the gospel writers state that Jesus healed people because he loved them. Very simply, he had compassion on them. He was on their side. He wanted to solve their problems. The word used to describe compassion expresses the involuntary gasp wrenching from a man overwhelmed with great sorrow or the groan of a woman savaged by labor pains. God himself is distressed by our plight, and his emotional response is powerful. When we're going through something, do we think of God being like that with us, that this is gut-wrenching for him? This is painful, and he's right there with us. He understands our pain. I think so often it's easy to think, well, he's God, and he does not getting what I'm going through. He can't understand this. And yet Jesus came and walked on this earth and went through this. He had to go to work and make money and do all the things that we do, and there was suffering involved. It wasn't easy. And it got even worse when he got to his ministry, and that started the persecution. Jesus experienced these things, so he knows what we're going through. And so I love that when he said, God himself is distressed by our plight, and his emotional response is powerful. So, of course, the hard part of this is, is that if Jesus has compassion and feels compassion when we're sick or we're suffering, why does the healing not always come? Sometimes we look at things and think, God, I've been prayed for so many times. I've been to the Keith Barons. I've done all these things, and yet I'm still suffering. I'm still struggling with this affliction. Why, Lord, why is this happening to me? And you see, this is one of the things from the class. The professor's name is Steve Siemens, and he's a retired professor at Asbury. And he's wrote quite a few books. And one of the books he wrote is called Wounds That Heal. And it really looks at not just physical ailments, but spiritual problems, emotional problems, mental problems. Excellent book, and it's all about going back to the cross of Christ, taking those things to the cross. And he talks a lot about how we walk through those afflictions with Christ in it. And um, I, I just, it's a book I'd highly recommend. I mean, Steve is just an amazing, amazing professor. I, I would say I've taken two classes at Asbury that I think have had a lasting impact, and he taught both of them. He only teaches two classes as intensive, and it's spiritual warfare, and this one, the power, or the theology and practice of healing. Huge impact on my life. And so as I was going through his book and looking at his notes, I came across this. 
And it was the five miracles of healings. And I went, that's what we need to talk about today in this second part of the sermon. And so the first is the miracle of supernatural healing. We've seen this. We've seen people be healed of lung problems, heart problems, arthritis. I mean, so many things we've seen people healed of in our congregation over the years. That's that supernatural healing. It happens. God came. It's taken care of. There's also the miracle of the doctor in modern medicine. I don't know that we always think of that necessarily as a miracle. And yet every morning since I was 14 years old, I have to get up and put contacts in because I am blind. I cannot see without my contacts. And every morning I do that, and it's a little irritating in the night if I get up and I'm bumping into walls or whatever. But every day I get up and I can see. I don't know if I really thought of that as being a miracle before this class. I thought, well, I need to, you know, if only God would heal my vision, that's something that irritates me at times. But guess what? He's used the doctors, he's gifted people so that a long time ago you wouldn't have been wearing contacts. You'd wear glasses, and I hate wearing glasses. So that's like a, that's a modern way, the miracle of the doctor in modern medicine. We also have the miracle of the healing power of the human body. We get a cold, we get the flu, typically our body takes care of it for us. That's a design by God in us to take care of us when things go wrong. Now, yes, sometimes the body messes up. Sometimes the body doesn't get it right and you have to go to the doctor. And other things have to take place because the body's not doing it for us. But really, most of the time, our body takes care of things. That's a miracle of the healing power of the human body. Now, the two that I really want to talk about today is the miracle of my grace is sufficient for you and the miracle of a victorious death. Because these are the hard ones. These are sometimes, I think, the really hard ones to get. And so in that my grace is sufficient for you, you know, we're free to and able to ask the Holy Spirit at any time to heal us. But if the Spirit doesn't do it, there's no reason to think that it's because we have no faith or that God doesn't love us or that he's punishing us. All it means is that God is offering us a gift that is far more precious than the healing. That even though it may be difficult for us to accept, it's better. If health is recovered, and it may one day be lost again. But to have borne suffering with patience is something good that will last a lifetime. But that's a hard one, to be able just to say, your grace is sufficient for me. Help me walk through this. Walk through this. I'm surrendering all to you, Lord. And if this is where you have me right now, I'm going to do it with you and to your glory. It's a hard one. You know, sometimes understanding my grace is sufficient for you means healing comes, but in a different way than expected. You know, I think we think of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus is just two chapters away from this gospel reading in chapter 11 of John. And in verses 5 and 6, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Kind of bothers you, doesn't it? He stayed two days longer. He loves them, and he stays two days longer. Kind of one of those that always went, what? What? If he loves us, why? And Father Don, of course, reminded me this morning that part of that was is that 
to wait. Lazarus would have been dead four days by the time he arrived, and they believed that the spirit kind of hung around. Well, the spirit would have departed on the fourth day, so when he raised him, he was definitely dead. He was definitely dead. I loved what Oswald Chambers had to say about this, those verses. He said, God's silences are his answers. If we only take as answers those that are visible to our senses, we are in a very elementary condition of grace. Can it be said of us that Jesus so loved us that he stayed where he was because he knew we had the capacity to stand a bigger revelation? Has God trusted us with a silence that is absolutely big with meaning? That is his answer. God has trusted you in the most intimate way he could trust you. With an absolute silence, not of despair, but of pleasure, because he saw you could stand a much bigger revelation than you had at the time. Some prayers are followed by silence because they're wrong. Others because they are bigger than we can understand. Jesus stayed where he was, a positive staying, because he loved them. Did they get Lazarus back? Yes. But they also got infinitely more. They got to know the greatest truth mortal beings ever knew, that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible to know that sometimes those silences that we so beg him not to put us through, when we say, where are you, Lord, are actually times that he's putting us through this so that we can understand something greater, something bigger. We can go back to that being changed because we've had an encounter with Jesus, even in those silences. And really in this, my grace is sufficient for you, a lot of times if the healing doesn't come, it does leave into that, lead into the miracle of a victorious death. Ken Blue wrote the book that I referenced earlier, said that despite the fact that God wills to heal the sick, not all the sick are healed. We are interacting with a sovereign and free God. He wills to have us healed, and we know in God's ultimate will, that's what he wants. And according to Revelation 21, death is gone for good. Tears are gone. The crying is gone. The pain is gone. And so when we pray for the sick and the broken, we shouldn't pray, Lord, heal if it be thy will, but Lord, heal according to thy will. Because he w does will to heal us. I think one of the hard things in this too is not only to say, Lord, heal us if it's your will, but sometimes we also say, Lord, heal according to my will. My will be done, Lord, because I know how it should be. I think we can tell him those things. We can ask for those things. But ultimately, our prayer should end with, Lord, heal according to thy will. Because we don't always know his bigger purpose for having us go through things. We don't know what his ultimate purpose is in the healings or how he's going to heal. You know, in victorious death, I think of Deacon Karen, who has come back from numerous bedsides of friends that have been dying, and she'll come back and say, oh, it was great, we had a worship service, we sang and we prayed and we praised, and the person's laying in the bed dying. I mean, that's really how death should be. That's how it should be for the Christian, that even when that comes, it's a miracle. It's a miracle for us. You know, I was thinking today after the early service, it's almost 11 o'clock. 
And two years ago today, I got the call, and I can tell you, 10.04, I was sitting on my couch doing schoolwork. My mom called. Your grandfather's heart just stopped. He was at a doctor's appointment. They did a chest x-ray. He was fine. He was talking. He, he died. He went over. He's in the ambulance on the way. They revived him, but it doesn't look good. So I went over to the hospital, and they came in, and they said, you know, we've got a pulse, but it's not strong. Do you want us to continue to work on him? And we said, no, his wishes were not to be brought back if this happened again, because it had happened once before. And so they came in and told us he was gone, and Father Don got there. And I remember about 11 o'clock, us walking back into the ER room at Advent, and it was sad. I mean, I've seen all my grandparents after they died, and it was sad. I was definitely closest to Grandpa of all of them. But we were in the room, and we're, we did last rites, and we're telling stories, and we're joking, and my uncle was flying down from Atlanta that day to see him, although he was surprised when he got off the airplane and he came to the hospital. But we all gathered in that room, and we're telling stories over the years of the crazy things that we'd all done with him. And it was sad, and it was heartbreaking. But at the same time, it was a victorious death because we knew where he was. We knew where he had gone. This wasn't the end. This wasn't the end. And that's really how death should be as a Christian. It is a miracle. It is a miracle. I think of C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle that says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is my land I've been looking for all my life. And though I never knew it till now, come further up, come further in. The term is over, the holidays have begun. The dream is ended, this is the morning. And later he says, and as he spoke, this is Aslan, the lion, he no longer looked like a lion. But the things that begin to happen after that are too great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we must truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the last. You see, that's how it is for us in a victorious death. We go there, we arrive, and every chapter is better than the last one. And that is a miracle. It's a miracle for us. And it's hard because we pray for healing, and people are going to come Tuesday night to Keith Barron, and I expect people are going to be healed of things. And other people are going to leave and say, why not me? But maybe it's something greater. Maybe there's a spiritual healing taking place that they don't even realize at that time. Maybe there's a really significant reason why they're going through that. I was reminded last night as I was going over this sermon in my head that at RYM, when we go up to Panama City with the kids, one of the, one of the teachers was talking about, my grace is sufficient for you. And they told a story, and I may have told it when we talked about the trip, that there was a girl that was 14 years old, she had leukemia, and she'd been through treatments, and the Christian family, and they'd taken her to prayer services, and she had people praying for her, and people prayed and prayed and prayed, and they expected healing, and she ended up passing away. 
And as her parents were going through her stuff at the end, she'd kept a diary. And everything in the diary was all about glorifying God. No matter what was going on through this process, it was about glorifying God. And as she got too weak to write anymore, she wrote on the last page of the diary, her, her last entry, was the moon is still round. And the parents were puzzled by this. The moon is still round. What does, what does that mean? And so they talked to different people that she may have talked to, and they kept trying to figure out what that meant. And they ended up talking to the youth minister, and the youth minister said, yeah, well, when I met with her the last time, she told me that when I asked how she was doing, and we were talking about her death approaching. And she goes, well, the moon is still round. And he said, well, what do you mean? And she goes, well, when I look out my bedroom window, sometimes the moon is full and round and bright. Sometimes I can't see it. Sometimes there's a sliver or half or two-thirds. She goes, but the reality is whether I can see that moon or not, the moon is still round. And she goes, as I walk with Jesus through this, even when I don't feel him and see him and it's silent, he's still there. He's still with me. So she goes, that's what I think about every day. The moon is still round and Jesus is right there with me. I hope that's true of us here. That as we go through life, whether we have a healing experience like the blind man or we have to learn my grace is sufficient for you and go into a victorious death, that we can still say the moon is round, that my Savior is with me and will be like that closing chapter of Narnia saying, I've arrived, I'm here, it started, and every chapter is better than the last. And I hope for us as we prepare for his coming and the death and resurrection that we're going to celebrate in just a few short weeks, that we really will prepare our hearts to see Jesus and have that personal encounter with him so that our lives are different and others' lives will be different because of us saying, telling them the gospel, seeing them, having compassion on them, and praying with the people in our lives. Amen.